0: Starts with the right golf ball, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Edel Golf, hit it, flip it, dial it in, and the McLemore Club Experience, live above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. Tonight, I've got two great guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. I've got a former Olympic gold medalist and a guy who has a C in his title for live golf. We'll talk more about who those guys are in just a moment. But before we do, I want to thank all of you for keeping the show inside the top five in the podcast magazine Hot 50 list for the month of August. Your support has been absolutely tremendous. Next on the tee is currently ranked number three, our football show, Thursday Night Tailgate, right behind it at number four. Our goal, obviously, is to leapfrog both shows into the top two spots. So please continue to vote, and you can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. We are so close to the top spots. I can't thank you enough for all of your efforts and all of your support. It means a great deal to me. Okay, on to tonight's show. My first guest is going to be 1984 gold medal winning figure skater Scott Hamilton. This was going to be Scott's first visit with us here on Next on the Tee, and I'm very excited to have him with us. I'll talk to him about how he got started in figure skating, the obstacles and challenges he encountered early in life, and they were significant. What it was like making his first Olympic team in 1980, then coming back and winning the gold medal in 1984. Of course, we'll try to talk a little bit about golf, plus the three great books that he's written. Looking forward to having Scott here. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll be joined by Ron Cross. Ron's a guy I became acquainted with about 13 years ago. He is now the Chief Events Officer for Live Golf. He's had a very distinguished career in the game. He's been the Executive Director of the Players' Championship, Director of Corporate Affairs for Augusta National, Senior Vice President of Executive Affairs for the Office of the PGA Tour Commissioner back when it was under Tim Fincham, and Senior VP of the President's Cup. So, a lot to get into tonight with Ron. Looking forward to having him as part of the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. So, there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you again about our friends at the McLemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I were there again this year for our annual golf trip, and it was even better the second time around. Everything about the place is first class. Our accommodations were great. The practice facility is great. They've got a wonderful new Himalayas putting course. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig is outstanding food and service. And to say the course is spectacular is an understatement. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. Go online and see for yourself at themaclemore.com. The course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and one of our friends and recent guests and PGA Tour caddy, Kip Hanley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000, and Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all saying such great things about the place by going online to TheMacLemore.com. I want to continue to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Fresh Clean Threads. Want 20% off the world's softest, comfiest, best-fitting men's clothes? Fresh Clean Threads has your back, your front, and your sides, with everything from tees, tanks, and henleys to pullovers, polos, and hoodies. Great designer quality basics without paying ridiculous designer prices. Everyone deserves to look good and feel great. Confidence shouldn't cost a fortune. Go online to FreshCleanThreads.com today. Your perfect fit awaits. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap back design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag For more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less than perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. Okay, now joining me is Olympic gold medal figure skater Scott Hamilton. Let me give you some more background on Scott. He was born in Toledo, Ohio, and grew up in Bowling Green. He attended Bowling Green State University. In 1980, Scott finished third in the U.S. Figure Skating Championship, which earned him a spot on the U.S. Figure Skating Team. That year, he finished fifth in the Olympic Games. The following year, he won the World Figure Skating Championship and would never lose another amateur event. Scott won four consecutive U.S. Championships from 1981 to 1984, four consecutive World Championships over that same time frame, and, of course, the gold medal at the 1984 Games. He turned pro in April of 84 and toured with the Ice Capades for two years, then created his own company, Scott Hamilton's American Tour, which would later become Stars on Ice. He would go on to perform there for 15 years before retiring in 2001. In 1990, Scott was inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. He has been an outstanding commentator for CBS, NBC, and Fox for many years. In 1996, he received two major awards. The first being the Babe diedrich Zaharias Award for Overcoming Adversity from the United States Sports Academy, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. He was also awarded the Academy of Achievement Gold Plate Award. He's written three wonderful books, which we'll talk about as well. And I'm beyond thrilled to have Scott with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Wow. I mean, you said it all. We don't really need to do anything. Let's talk about golf. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he went through the whole thing. I mean, there's nothing left to say. Uh, but thanks for that amazing introduction. It's hard to believe that, um, you know, it's like I'm feeling older these days. So that's one thing. So I guess I, you know, it, it feels like, oh, okay, that I had time to do all that, <laughs> you know, but it just feels like a lot when you say it. <laughs>
0: And speaking of older you're 5 days short from your birthday so happy birthday early.
2: I know I'm excited I get to you know start another trip around the sun you know god willing Um, yeah it's been uh crazy you know just uh you know was, you know I've had my you know what I call my unique hobby of collecting life threatening illness and and uh you know I a little girl at a cancer center one time you know we we're doing a one of those Ryan T Crest studio interviews and she goes, what's your favorite song? And I just said, happy birthday, <laughs> you know, because that's just the way it is. Guys, let's let's so, um, start there, because I know fun. you're
0: doing a lot of work for cancer research. Talk about that.
2: Well, you know, I lost my mom when I was 18 years old, and that's way too young for a young man to lose their mom. I mean, you just need them in those, you know, those years, especially. And and she was the center of my universe and, and I just, um, it's, I was devastated by her loss. It just I never loved anyone like I loved her. And then to see her suffer and succumb just shattered me. So, um, I decided that I was going to raise money for cancer research. So, you know, we, whenever I could, you know, whether it's through ice shows, we did some things in my hometown of Bowling Green, Ohio, where we would do, um, you know, these fundraising shows for cancer and everybody loved my mom. So they'd all show up and. You know, we'd raise around $25,000 and then I won the Olympics and we're at this hotel in Sarajevo and I'm standing there with, like I'm poorest Gump, You just have to realize that I'm standing there with, with, uh, Rune Arledge and, uh, Doug Wilson and Eric Hayden and Peter Carruthers. And I just looked at Rune Arledge and I said, I've got two words for you. He goes, what's that? I go, bowling green. He goes, hey, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you mean? I go, I'm going to give my last amateur performance in Bowling Green, Ohio. And I'm going to raise money for cancer research. And I just thought maybe that'd be a fun thing for you guys to cover. Uh, And he goes, we'll be there. So they wrote a check uh, to to raise money for cancer. We sold out three shows and we raised $75,000 for cancer. I thought, okay, man, we just won the lottery. And then I did my first, what I call my first pro show, but I didn't really want to lose my amateur status by getting a check. So I did a show in Denver right after the Olympics to raise money for cancer and I didn't get a sanction. So I lost my amateur status. I figured that was a cleaner way to do it. And there I was able to raise $250,000 for cancer research. I'm like, this is awesome. You know, so, you know, we get into a professional life and, you know, everything just starts happening. And, and I was a huge proponent, you know, for any cancer cause and I get to stay involved. And then 20 years. Two months shy of 20 years of losing my mom, I'm diagnosed with cancer. And now I knew what it felt like to go through it. Now I knew all the things that I, I really wished I would have been able to find out that I didn't know that really would have helped me in my journey. And I just said, I, I, now I, I, I was a fundraiser. Now I need to be more of an activist. And so I just started filling in the blanks. You know, I, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. I kind of made it cool before Lance Armstrong and. Um you know, I'm I'm you know, I looked it up on the internet and all I could find was medical journal papers, nothing that I could understand because there was twelve syllable words. And I thought, well, there's something that I need to figure out. So uh for five years I was sort of the organ grinder's monkey and um uh, I just would raise money however I could from whoever I could and we built a website called chemocare.com which tells you everything you need to know about chemotherapy, every drug, how it's administered. Um, side effects, how to manage them all in eighth grade English and Spanish. And now with Google Translate, any language in the world. So now, you know, we're, we're able to serve patients in a really specific, powerful way where they're able to kind of own their information, understand exactly what they're about to endure. And in that way, you know, they're more prepared for it than just, you know, one step in, after another in the dark. And then, um, uh, and then I, I realized I wanted to quit after round three, which seemed kind of ridiculous because I was one five day round um from finishing my chemo. And uh I was like, Oh, why, what, what I, how do I, how do I, what, why would I quit? Why I'm so close. And I realized it was because the cancer was trying to talk me out of winning. And, um and I realized that if I had someone to talk to that was, um, a cancer survivor, maybe they could have mentored me through my experience in a much better way. And I'd be able to, um, you know, just step in knowing exactly what was happening next. And so we decided to, um, build the fourth angel mentoring program, which basically, um, the first angel is your oncologist. Your second angel is your oncology nurse. Your third angel is your friends and family. What was missing was the fourth angel and that's someone who's been there done that. And so. Uh, we, we started the fourth angel and there's a little pushback at first because they didn't really understand what we're trying to accomplish. And now, um, it's remarkable. It's serving patients and caregivers and pediatric caregivers in a really powerful way. And it's just growing so fast. It's almost unmanageable. And, and then, you know, then came the last piece, which was research. So, um, after we did all of that and we funded a mountain of research at the Cleveland Clinic, I decided to take the CARES brand. Um, private and, you know, create a foundation around it. And now we are, um, funding only, um, treatment options, research to develop treatment options that treat the cancer and spare the patient harm. And so, um, it's all about immunotherapy, targeted therapy, the awareness of proton therapy and anything we can do to, um, impact the cancer precisely. That, that is what we want to do because right now the status quo, I feel, even though I'm here 25 years later because of chemotherapy, uh, the status quo is unacceptable. What we know about the human body and what we, um, can understand that our bodies created the cancer. Why can't we teach our bodies how to destroy it? And so, um, now everything we do is to fund the next miracle. Everything we do is to, um, advance the science and, um, you know, CARES is an acronym. It stands for the Cancer Alliance for Research Education Survivorship. And so the A is what we're really pounding on now because we realize that, um, you know, if, if we can collaborate with other like-minded organizations, um, man, we can really, uh, link arms and make a bigger difference faster. And then, you know, that you don't have to do duplicate research. You can coordinate things better and. And so we're, we're really working hard to be a great citizen in the cancer community and, and to make uh, a huge and forever impact on, on cancer. Um, you know, just the way people are treated forever.
0: Fantastic stuff, Scott. And really, as I was doing the research on you, you've had a lot of challenges really since birth. And at one point, you got a diagnosis that you might only have a few months to live as a child. Talk about going all the way back to when you were a kid, all the challenges and obstacles you had to overcome then.
2: Well, it was sort of a boot camp for everything I was going to face later on. You know, it was, <laughs> you know, I stopped growing when I was four years old. Nobody really understood uh, why. Uh, and so I started a four-year, um, you know, tour from hospital to hospital to hospital. and. um and it, uh, you know, first hospital was in my, my backyard in Bowling Green, Ohio. And they basically said, we, we can't figure this thing out. We, we know something's wrong. We just can't find it. And then, um, we went to a bigger hospital. I joke with bigger doctors and, and there they said, uh, there's something definitely wrong, but we can't identify it. Uh, you know, so that's year two. And then year three, we went up to Ann Arbor to the University of Michigan, the children's hospital there. And, uh, they basically, you know, gave me a death sentence. They said, you know, the trajectory is not good. We anticipate six months. Um, and then, um, you know, it's like my mom was like, okay, (laughs) we're out of here. And so we went to the biggest hospital with the biggest doctors that was Boston Children's. And, and it was there that I had every symptom of a disease called Schwachman diamond syndrome. And Dr. Schwachman himself was going to look after me. And, and after about a year of being in and out of that hospital, the, uh, Dr. Swachman sat my parents down and he said, he said, you know, um, he has every symptom, but he doesn't have it. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, so I, my advice is for you to go home, uh, take him off all the restrictive diet and, uh, and, you know, um, just live and see if he outgrows this thing. Um, and in that, you know, I was able to go home, uh, um, start living more of a normal life. And, um, it was there that I found skating by accident. And then, um, in that I was able to be more active and exercise and, and, uh, for whatever reason, um, I had to fall away again. And I started feeling better and more active again. And, and it wasn't until 2004 that we figured out what was wrong with me for all those years.
0: And what was that?
2: Well, I, I, you know, I survived cancer. I did the whole thing and I figured I was going to get a medical pass. And, uh, <laughs> that, that, seven years after my cancer, I was feeling symptomatic again. And so, uh, I, Went back to the Cleveland clinic for my annual fundraiser that I would do there. Uh, it was an amazing event. And, and I just told my doctor, I said, I, I'm feeling symptomatic and I don't really know what's going on. And, and, uh, you know, pretty much all of the symptoms that I described to him were basically I'm getting older, right? And probably, uh, you know, an after effect of the chemotherapy and we can treat you medically and we can do some things to shore you up. And it was like, no, <laughs> this is different than that and uh he he said what's going on i go my peripheral vision is like really blurry and he goes oh okay okay let's get you in for a head scan and uh they found i had a brain tumor and uh, i was in a really difficult place it was in my optic chasm and they were afraid to do anything uh to it because it was sort of um really perilously close to my um optic nerve and so um, they decided to do gamma knife radiation. Well, first they had to biopsy it, and that's the whole point of the story. Is they went into the top of my head. They they said, "I, I, you know, we we found what we believe is a safe corridor." <laughs> and like, okay, I'm not using really any of my brain, so go have at it. And um, you know, they said I could lose motor function, I could lose memory, I could lose speech, I could lose all these things if if the surgery didn't go well. And I woke up. I knew who I was, where I was, why I was there. And I just leaned over and I went test. Oh, I can still speak. Okay. That's good. And, uh, the doctor came around and they go, we know what it is. Um, there's several ways of treating this thing, but we got to figure out the best way. And here's some information on your tumor. And, um, we'll, we'll, you know, we're going to collaborate on this. We're going to come up with the best plan to treat it. And, um, and then, uh, we're going to move forward. So my wife's reading the information that came with this particular brain tumor. And she said, oh, listen to this. Just goes, brain tumors are usually detected early in a child's life due to a lack of growth and development. So basically, wow. I was born with this brain tumor. And uh it was remarkable that, like, you know, when I take a step back. It's like every single amazing thing in my life happened because I had a brain tumor. And it's like, wow. And, you know, it came back six years later and they treated it with uh surgery, but the surgery didn't go very well. And so, um, you know, they had nine more surgeries that summer. I lost my right eye for a little while and then some of it came back and uh, you know, it just was one of those really rough summers, and then six years later a pattern is emerging here. It came back again and this time it was um, you know, they were talking to me about surgery and they were talking to me about a medical option that would shrink it. And all I heard was blah, 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 blah. And all I, in my whole being, all I felt was this overwhelming urge, this kind of this repetitive loop of just get strong. Don't worry about it. Just get strong. Don't worry about it. Just get strong. And I was like, I don't know what that meant. So I went, uh, they asked me and they go, do you want to do surgery or the medical option? I go, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get strong. And they go, what does that mean? I go, I don't know. <laughs> No. But I had this overwhelming thing in my spirit. Just, you just need to get strong. You don't need to worry about this. Just get strong. And so I went home and I didn't know if it was physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. So I just chose E, all of the above. Um, and, uh, it, it, it it's amazing because, you know, I, I showed you the pattern, right? 2004 to 2010, 2010 to 2016. Now we're in 2022 and the tumor has grown and it's shrunk and it's shrunk and it's grown and it's shrunk and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown and it's shrunk. And so I haven't had to pull the trigger on any treatment options because it's sort of been sort of vacillating. It hasn't really gotten to a point where it's become a mischief maker. And so now everything I do you know, it's been, you know, I really try to be aware that I, I try to do something physically, um, you know, active. I try to do something emotionally healthy. I try to do something intellectually interesting and learn and grow. And I, and then on the spiritual side I just, I, I just dove into my faith and, you know, I'm in a weekly Bible study and I read the, you know, Bible cover to cover and I'm, I'm fascinated with, you know, all these different, uh, spiritual leaders and, and what they bring to the table as far as perspective. And it's been a remarkable journey. And it's just one I'm so grateful for because, you know, in all the calamity, it awakened in me uh, a recognition of where all the best things come from. And that is, you know, from uh, Jesus, God, and the spirit, you know, it's just amazing. Um It's just amazing how I never thought that I would be that guy. and. And I am, I'm just totally madly in love with my faith and, and, uh, it's, it's answered way more questions than it's posed, it seems. And, and I just got to dive in a little deeper for those questions to keep popping up. But, um, I highly recommend it <laughs> to anyone out there struggling. <laughs> it's like, get strong, get strong physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. If you just do something every day that checks all four of those boxes, your life is going to be completely um, oh my goodness, it's just going to be enhanced in really amazing ways. It's just remarkable.
0: Scott, I want to go back to a comment you made a little bit ago that you sort of stumbled on skating. How did you stumble upon it?
2: Well, it was just that um, my parents needed a morning off after my four year sort of adventure from hospital to hospital. I mean hospital children's hospitals back then aren't what they are today weren't what what they are today there's no day bed there's no entertainment choices basically what my parents and what i dealt with was a bed in a very sterile environment and a chair in the corner and my mom who i you know i've already mentioned how much i adore her you know she would sleep in that chair as many nights as she possibly could so i wouldn't have to be alone in the hospital and uh i mean she was just a a rock star she was amazing and it was just um uh unbelievable that you know that she was able to endure all of that but you know after the four-year journey where dr schwachman said go home live a normal life they were shattered i mean they were really shattered you know financially they were shattered um emotionally they were shattered physically and and they just really needed um one day one morning off to just sort of Sleep in and relax. And our family physician came with an idea along with that intervention where he just said, there's a brand new facility at Bowling Green State University. And on Saturday mornings, they open it up to the community and they teach children how to skate. And, um, you know, my, he said, my kids are in it. They, they're thriving. They love it. And I think it would be a really good thing to give you guys, uh, you know, just four hours in the morning to sleep in we'll get into the rink you can go with his sister you can do whatever you want but just this is one way for you guys to recharge your batteries and so i went to the rink and I, here i am you know used to being around sick kids and now i'm around 120 well kids and it's like whoa this is a party this is awesome <laughs> and i realized after you know a few weeks that um i could skate as well as the well kids and then i realized after a few more weeks that i could skate as well as the best athletes in my grade and I had my first taste of self-esteem you know it was just really powerful it's like I could do something I could I'm not you know the weak one I'm not the littlest one of my just the littlest one of my class I'm not just the last one for all the team sports and the playground I was you know I was kind of that kid and now I can do something as well or better than the best athletes in my grade I, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this. This is all I'm going to do from this day forward. And, and it's remarkable. The journey that it took me on, it's just, you know, I, I became a skater and, and I had to learn how to overcome my weaknesses. I had to learn how to deal with failure. I had to learn how to, um, you know, just sort of find my lane. And, and I was really. You know, I really struggled in those first years because I, you know, lack of maturity and lack of understanding. Um, I just didn't get it. And, and then, um, you know, my, uh, I, my mom, you know, after coming in last at Nationals, next to last at Nationals and beating two guys like my, my first year in the junior of Nationals, my mom arrived, um, at the Nationals and she was, she had her left breast and mostly inside of her left arm removed and, um, she wearing a wig because the chemo it took all her hair and she had a big smile on her face the whole time. And I was like, Are you okay? And she said, I'm great. And I go, Is it the drug? And she said, No. <laughs> you skate, we got lots to talk about. And so I I went out and for whatever reason that year I was kind of in a better position. I think it was my coach had really just cracked the whip on me and and I, I went out and I skated and I won the junior nationals and what I didn't know was on the way to that national championship, my mom had um stopped in Chicago to change planes. And there was an introduction made where there was a couple who was very wealthy, didn't have any children and loved skating. And they offered to step in and pay for all of my training expenses. So I wouldn't have to quit because it was just too much on my family. And so I, I, I went up, you know, I, I, I won the lottery. I, that year was 1976 and I win the junior nationals and um, the coach that um, had helped arrange the sponsorship with well, that year was coaching a, a girl that named Dorothy Hamill to an Olympic gold medal. So I really had stepped into something amazing, but I, I lacked the maturity to really understand the gift. And I, I didn't even know it was first year in seniors. I was a total train wreck. I, I didn't even know how I made it to nationals that year. I was such a mess i was you know i was 18 i was distracted i was you know thinking about all the wrong things and i you know skating was sort of like there and i tried really hard but i i didn't know how to train i didn't understand a lot of things and and then you know i i went home after that nationals my mom watched me come in ninth you know out of 12 and it was embarrassing and and then we get home and she took a turn for the worst and I remember um being in a room until about three thirty in the morning with my brother and we went home to sleep and my brother in law at the time woke me up and all he said was, Your mother is gone and um and all I could think to say was I know and I was devastated and I just got up and I I went for a walk in our backyard. We was out in the country and we had a lot of room to move and and I I just didn't know how I was gonna be able to do this without her, how to do life without her and then that walk uh, it was a long one. I just decided that i could do i i i didn't have to do it without her i could I could do skating with her. I could take her with me to the ice all the time and I could have her hold me accountable and I could try to become the young man and the skater that she always dreamed and what she incredibly sacrificed for me to become and i just i put my head down i just put, went to work and from that decision to take her with me to the ice every single day, you know, she saw me come in ninth at nationals. the very next year. I'm on the podium ranked third in the country. And then I am 11th in the world. And then two years later, I'm, I'm in the Olympic games. She always thought I was going to go to the Olympics. And I'm like, based on what I'm terrible. And, uh, you know, I got to go to Lake Placid and I got elected to carry the flag in the opening ceremony, which was unbelievable. And, and then, um, you know, the third guy in a three man team without any chance of meddling and I'm carrying the flag in the opening ceremony. And it was because the other athletes wanted that flag bearer to represent the journey, not the destination. And, um, they just felt like I uniquely, um, qualified for that. And, you know, with my childhood illness is my mom or financial issues and everything else and kind of rising above all those horrible things that happened and then. And then, um, after that Olympic year, I woke up one morning and I realized that I'm ranked fifth in the world and the top three guys just retired from the sport. (laughs) And it's like, I'm ranked second in the world. It's like, okay, what do I need to do to come in first? And I, you know, I was always the loser guy and all of a sudden now I'm, I'm kind of doing well. And, and I realized that I had to fall in love with a part of the sport that I didn't like very much. And that was the compulsory figures. And I just put my head down, went to work, and starting in the end of October of 1980 until March of 1984, I, n- I never lost another competition. And, and I mean, it's, it, it's surreal that, you know, this kid that was coming in last all the time was able to sort of step into a, a different way of thinking and training where everything was possible.
0: So, Scott, I feel like we've just barely – Scratch the surface of all the great things that you've done in the course of your life. Unfortunately, we don't have much more time, but you've written three wonderful books. Talk about the inspiration to write those books and then how our listeners can go out and get a copy of them.
2: Well, I mean, I wrote the biography after um, cancer, and and that one almost doesn't count because, you know, life is so different now. Um, I wrote The Great Eight. Um, out of my, uh, experience with my brain tumor and just everything I learned that allowed me to step into that, that new season with, um, joy and confidence. And, and then I wrote, um, uh, I wrote, uh, finish first. Um, it's just a, a way for people to kind of understand, you know, kind of things that I had to learn in order to become the best version of myself on the ice and, and then, um, we wrote Pretty Finds a Hat, which is a children's book. Uh, there was a great team put that together. And, and that's, um, it's, it's kind of a story about my mom and, and, um, you know, how to talk to your children about cancer when it comes into your family. And it's a beautiful book. It's a great little story. Brad Paisley and his boys did all the hats, um, all the artwork for the hats in the book. And, and, uh, you know, all that money goes towards cancer research. So. We're really hoping that, you know, people will continue to, um, look at Fritzy Finds a Hat as a resource and, and finish first as, as another resource to kind of get off the couch and, and really get in touch with your the best version of yourself. And, and the grade eight, you know, is another one where it's just about, you know, finding joy. You know, it's like the subtitle for the grade eight is, is how to be happy, even though you have every reason to be miserable, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, and then if, you know, I'm really hoping that, you know, people get involved with cares, you know, just, um, uh, scottcares.org. And we have a 1984 campaign where people can pledge $19.84 a month and support our work, um, to really just fund research and change, uh, the way people are treated for cancer forever. There, there's so much right there that needs to be, um, governed. And it's right there. We know it. I mean, we know it. And, um, I even heard a, Research scientists say the other day that using this form of immunotherapy and advancing it and developing it will cure. We use the C word cure multiple myeloma in 10 years. And it's just remarkable that that's the season we're stepping into, but we have to fund the research in order to make that happen. So scottcares.org. I'm hoping people will join us, join the 1984 campaign and, and uh, help us reach our goals to save lives. So, um, keep families together and extend lives and the quality of lives.
0: I can't let you go without saying hello to our mutual friend, Mike Whalen. Mike's been a guest on this show. And for those who don't know, Mike is the guy who got the Golf Channel off the ground back in the early to mid-90s. He created all the shows, hired all the people. He's going through his own cancer battle right now, which he is detailing daily out there on Twitter. I know you and Mike have yeah. been friends for a long time as well.
2: Oh, I adore Mike. And, you know, he's been through it once and now he's going through it again. And, um, you know, he needs every bit of support and strength that, you know, all of us can give him. And and it's it's a it's a difficult battle. I mean, it, it shakes us down to our core, down to our essence. You know, it's um, our bodies betrayed us. And it's hard to imagine that. But, you know, the, the amount of cancer that's out there now, it's just. It, it it's it's heart wrenching, especially to see someone we love like Mike go through it the way he's going through it now. Again, I, I adore the man. I always have, I always will as as you, you know, anybody that's ever met Mike would, you know, just knows his heart and his talent and and, you know, just who he is and and uh, you know, if I could just ask everybody out there to just say a little prayer for Mike and strength and storm and uh, for the cancer to just miraculously disappear from his body, um, that would be amazing. Yes, it would.
0: Scott, thank you so much for being generous with your time tonight. Like I say, I know we've only scratched the surface. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime yeah. soon.
2: I hope so. It was great talking to you today, Chris.
0: Thanks, Scott. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll look forward to catching up with you soon.
2: All right. God bless. Take
0: See you, Scott. That is the great Scott Hamilton, folks. It boy, it just doesn't get much better than what you just heard and the inspiration and the things that Scott's been through and, and the optimism and uh the wonderful life experiences that he's had on top of the the really tough ones. And um I know we didn't get to talk an an awful lot about his skating career. There's a whole lot more to get back into with that, but I thought the the stories and the things that he has had to experience from the time, as you heard from the time he was a baby, folks, Um struggles, barriers, things that like you heard uh people telling him he only had six months to live at one point, uh, broke through all of that to achieve and get to the summit. Right. 1984 gold medalist and now giving back and still battling uh with the tumor in his brain. So and a special hello to Mike Wayland. I know Mike's listening tonight. Thank you, Mike, for having Scott come and share his stories on the show. We're all praying and right there with you, too, my friend. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Ron Cross, I want to remind you about a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Adele Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club. By moving the heavyweight to the heel, center, or toe location, you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result? Total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment Maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com. Get the Squares 30 day money back guarantee and use promo code distance to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now joining me is Ron Cross. Ron is a guy I became acquainted with about 13 years ago and have watched his great success ever since. He is currently the chief events officer for Live Golf. But going back to the early parts of his career, Ron was the vice president and executive director of the Players' Championship, then the senior director of corporate affairs at Augusta National. He went back to the PGA Tour as the senior VP of executive affairs for the Office of the Commissioner and then senior VP for the President's Cup. Ron earned his bachelor's degree in exercise, sports sciences, and sports administration at the University of Florida. And I'm excited to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Ron, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Ron, I want to start by going back to a time when you were a teenager. I read that you grew up in <laughs> Jacksonville, and you used to volunteer at the Players Championship. Talk about how you got involved with volunteering there and some of the experience you got to have as a result of it.
1: That's, uh thank you for that. It was a tremendous opportunity growing up here in Jacksonville, Florida, home of the PGA tour and the players championship. Uh, when I was growing up, that was, you know, the golf event and always wanted to be a part of it and was fortunate to be able to volunteer and, uh, be a standard bearer, you know, the kid carrying the sign. Um, and it was the very first event at CPC Sawgrass, 1982. And, uh, great times with that golf course opening and Jerry Pate winning and throwing Dean Beeman and Pete Dye into the water. I was on the on the green there as it happened and um, just a tremendous experience and uh, loved everything about it. And then from there was able to go on to the University of Florida and got a sports administration degree. And part of that curriculum was to do an internship. And I said, wouldn't that be great to go back to the players championship and do that? And uh, interviewed with uh, Henry Hughes, who was the executive director at the time. And I uh, was fortunate that he allowed me the opportunity to do that internship and was at the right place at the right time and, uh, stayed there at the tour for 19 years. So it was, uh, a great start to my career. It's, uh, it's the only job I've had is in the world of golf. And, uh, as you mentioned so kindly to, to have been there at, a, uh, at the PGA tour and on to Augusta National, uh, back to the tour and now with Live Golf. So it's been a, a wild ride, a fun ride, great people that, like yourself that I've had the opportunity to meet and interact with. Everybody in the world of golf are just genuinely nice, good people to work with. And that's been the that's <laughs> the best part about it. And I've made some great friendships over the years and been to some wonderful golf courses and facilities. And um so, yeah, it's been a, a great run. And I still just try not to screw it up too bad too quickly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, Ron, you mentioned your time at, I guess, the National Senior Director of Corporate Affairs there. How'd you land that job?
1: So I was, again, you'll hear me say multiple times, very fortunate. I've been very lucky, uh, in my career. When I, um, and this apropos of this week, the week of the tour championship, I ran the tour championship at Eastlake and the first three, first three planes there in 1998, 2000, and 2002. And Billy Payne was my general chairman, the volunteer in charge. Uh, of the event and the volunteer aspect of everything and um we got to be good friends and uh, he when he became chairman of Augusta National he asked me to come work for him and I was thrilled and honored and said yes sir I'll race you there and uh, <laughs> had the opportunity to go there from 2008 to 2016 and had oversight of our communication side of the business which was great but The exciting part was the growth of game effort that he led the charge with, and that was the creation of the Asian Amateur Championship, the Latin America Amateur Championship, and the Drive, Chip, and Putt Championship. So I was a part of creating those events, part of a great team of amazing people that, that did so in partnership with the RNA, the Asia Pacific Golf Confederation, and the USGA, and traveled the world internationally and in Asia and Latin America and setting up these events and creating opportunities for these young players from uh, developed countries and developing countries in the world of golf to participate with the goal to be an aspiration of playing in the Masters. And uh, it was a, a thrill to be a part of and to see, you know, players like Hideki Matsuyama, who won two of the first three and um and then fast forward and you know mr Payne's vision was to create heroes and to see hideki win that event low amateur and then the masters you know and the green jacket um was just one of the most exciting moments to to see come to fruition and that's a tribute to mr Payne and his vision his dedication to, to grow in the game and i was uh Uh, proud to be a small part of it, for sure.
0: So, Ron, let me live vicariously through you. What was it like the very first time you got to put a tee in the ground at Augusta National?
1: So, November 1999 is the day (laughs) I remember it. Um, (laughs) It was before I started working there. It was Mr. Payne graciously invited me to come play as a guest with him. And I shot a seventy nine which I was uh, so excited about, and uh could almost probably tell you every shot, you know, not that you want to hear it, but um it was one of those great memories, and was very fortunate to have the opportunity to play you know multiple times as as an employee thereafter we were there, very um a nice benefit of of working there that they treat the staff extremely well and provide an opportunity. Uh, at the end of the season to to play the course and so um played it worse every time until the very last time I played it <laughs> so uh but tremendous fond memories and uh, a great place to have to go to work every day and and, and wonderful people that, that are a part of that the membership staff um the community of Augusta just you know they put on a, an amazing event every year and it uh it's a again fond memories to to have been a part of it for sure
0: We've got the President's Cup coming up in just under a month. You spent time as the VP of the President's Cup handling events domestically and internationally. Talk about being a part of one of the premier golf uh, events on the PGA Tour, not just the Tour Championship and Augusta National and all of that, but now you get to be a part of the President's Cup too.
1: Again, a, a tremendous experience. Um, actually ran it as the executive director, the second one in 1996. At Robert Trent Jones Golf Club, um, fast forward and, and had responsibility for the oversight of it in 19 in Australia, was a tremendous success there at Royal Melbourne Golf Club, thanks to Matt Kaminsky and the team that uh, were on the ground making that happen, and uh, and then was a part of the team with Adam Sperling, who's leading the charge there, there at Quail Hollow, uh, under the leadership of Johnny and John O'Harris um and the membership there at Quail Hollow. That's going to be the most successful President Cup in the history. Um and that's a tribute to Adam and his team there and and Mr. Harris and the and the membership there at Quail Hollow. I think it's going to be a great, fun event in a couple of weeks and uh look forward to seeing it.
0: So Ron, how did the new role as Chief Events Officer for Live Golf come about?
1: It was back in two thousand twenty. I was at the tour, as you mentioned, and so nicely done your research is to um be in that position and At the end of december, uh the start of the pandemic, my position was eliminated, and so I was out looking for a job uh very fortunate to get a nice severance package where I didn't have to rush to do anything, so took the first you know several months off and then started looking for a job and did not think I'd be involved in golf again after having so many wonderful years at the PGA tour and at Augusta national was looking to possibly do something in in sports marketing for a, for a corporate entity and, or even heading down the path of the Olympics in LA in 28 was, was a, a a goal that I was looking into and uh, nothing had come to fruition at the time. And so it was about, end of September and I get a call from Greg Norman who said he's got this little golf project he's working on and wanted to know if I was interested in, in being a part of it as his chief events officer and uh, would love to talk to you and went down a week later and two weeks later I think uh, got the job and uh, an employee number four of Live Golf and um, I've been having a, an absolute uh, thrill um, I tell people all the time it's uh, since that October, it's been exciting, exhilarating, depressing, demoralizing, and every emotion in between. It's just been a, an absolute, uh, fun ride and, uh, amazing what has been accomplished in a short amount of time. If you'd have told me back in March that we were gonna create, run, and execute three brand new tournaments in the next 90 days, I would have thought you were crazy, but, uh, our team pulled it off with a gr- lot of great people and colleagues and partners involved and here we are with two more events upcoming in boston and chicago in the next couple of weeks and finishing off with bangkok Jeddah, and miami for the team world championship so it's um eight events this year 14 events next year and um yeah it, it's it's a lot of fun it's a lot of hard work time and effort but again very fortunate that Greg and under his leadership he's he's put a team together that of people that are really good at what they do, are very smart at what they do and and enjoy what we do. And that's that's the best part about it. It's it's being around people that, you know, work hard but enjoy being around each other and um uh, and making things happen. So it's um I'm again, you've heard me say it not once, twelve times already. I'm very fortunate um to be in the position I'm in right now and and very thankful every day.
0: Ron, when you hear about some of the response that the PGA tour is doing because of what you guys are doing, it, it seems like a crazy scramble to me to copy LibGolf's ideas. Suddenly tournament purses are increasing potential changes to tournament structures. We've heard recently about they're looking to create no cut events with the top 60 players with a $20 million purse. Are you guys surprised that it appears like the tour is doing what they did to Greg Norman back in the nineties when they sort of stole his world golf championship idea. It seems like they're trying to do the same thing that live golf is doing. That's surprising to you guys.
1: I think what we're doing is um, proven to be very successful with the no cut events and limited fields and, you know, high impact purses, which is all about helping the players and, and giving them the things that, uh, We believe they are deserving of and, uh, have earned and, um, you know, helping to spread that for the players and then growing it, the game around the world to to other markets that are going to enjoy seeing these players on a more regular basis. So I I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's in the long run, it's, it's about bettering the game of golf and and for the players. And I think we're having a a very solid and positive impact to that. And if there's other ways that can be enhanced to do so and with you know other organizations around the world then that's great we're we're again happy to be a part of it and glad those kind of things are happening and and being more positive for for the players and and what they are deserved
0: at the root of what you guys are doing isn't it just competing with the pga tour kind of like the usfl did back in the day with the nfl or Starbucks does with Dunkin' Donuts or when Home Depot came along and upset the hardware industry. Isn't it just competition or am I looking at it too simplistically?
1: Yeah, competition is good, I guess, is the bottom line, what we're saying. I think that's uh, what we think is, you know, a good opportunity. We're not looking to interfere with, you know, the major championships. We're not looking to interfere with uh, the bigger heritage events of Mr. Palmer, Mr. Nicholas, Players' Championship. Et cetera. But there are other opportunities where we think a field of this strength can participate and compete, and fans that will enjoy. And it's uh, a good individual competition, and it's also you know going to be an exciting team competition. I think that's ultimately the the differentiator that we're talking about. That's going to be the ultimate value, is the the franchise value and the fans you know cheering for the four aces, not just Dustin Johnson as an example, and so. Um, that's what I get excited about. That's what I think, uh, is, is looking to the future. What's going to be uh, a huge differentiator. And, um, and I think we're well on our way and looking forward to the, to the months and years ahead.
0: So you mentioned franchise. Is that really where the model for live goes in, in selling the franchises, selling ownership for the teams and that sort of thing? Is that where you guys feel like, Hey, Here's, here's what is really going to drive excitement, not just that you've got teams and we know that there are, but another aspect becoming those teams actually are franchises that you may have team ownership for.
1: That's exactly right. That's, that's the business model moving forward. That's the investment model that, um, is going to make a, a huge difference in, in the years ahead. And it's, um, you know, we're still a startup and it's still uh figuring things out and making it happen but to launch the league next year that we're doing with 14 events will be you know full team full 48 player league and um so we're excited to see how it comes about and um yeah the, the future is bright and that's that side. i think that's going to be a, a real difference maker for sure
0: and does the asian tour then become kind of like the corn fairy tour for the pga tour is that where you have players kind of shuttling potentially back and forth between Live Golf and the Asian Tour?
1: I don't know that I'd qualify it that way exactly. I think Asian Tour is a very strong tour on its own merits for sure. What we've done is invested in the international series, um, a series of 10 events that um, players will participate in and the leading money winner at the end of those 10 events will be promoted to the league. So at the end of the season, Four players will be relegated. So not unlike, you know, other major sports and, and soccer, football, um, as it's described around the world, um, there'll be relegation and promotion and, uh, trades and, and all that kind of stuff. More details to come on that as, as we get further into it. But, um, that international series is, a, are going to be impactful events on the, uh, Asian tour and an opportunity for players to, You know, qualify and and develop into a league player for sure.
0: For people who are saying that the Saudis that back you are going to get bored at some point, they're going to be tired of dishing out the big dollars to players and all that sort of thing. And two, three years from now, they're going to be shutting live golf down just out of mere boredom or, hey, we paid a bunch of money to get this thing started. It really didn't go in the way we want, so let's just shut this thing down. How do you respond to the naysayers?
1: So my, my thought is that the public investment fund is a, you know, hundreds of billion dollar wealth fund that invests in companies all around the world. Companies like Disney, Uber, Boeing, live golf. And they do it as investment and they see golf and this franchise model as an investment that they'll get a return on, um, in the years ahead, whether that's I don't think anybody's expecting that to be two or three years. It's a longer-term model, but it's something that uh, they are invested in and that we're thankful for their investment and and think that we collectively will all benefit from, from the investment in the game uh, as we continue to grow it around the world.
0: And, Ron, we hear rumors that, you know, Pat, maybe after this weekend, after the Tour Championship, five more big name players are going to be coming over to live. And I'm certainly not asking you to name names, but if that's accurate, you know, are, well, first of all, is that accurate that we could see more players at the end of this weekend come over to live? And if so, are any of those names, people, we might be surprised to hear. about?
1: So I would suggest to you that there's definitely opportunity for more players to come and be a part of it. When and who that is, I can't comment on certainly, but uh I think again, there are, Exciting times ahead for, for more players to, to come and be involved.
0: You've got five more events coming up in September and October. Talk about what we can expect to see at those tournaments.
1: So great markets that we're in, uh, Boston, Chicago, Miami, um, for the U.S. events, markets that are currently underserved in, in the world of professional golf. So we're excited to bring these best players to, to those markets and, and show off this format. Show off the, you know, golf but louder aspect of what Live Golf is all about. Um, taking it also internationally, Bangkok is at a new golf course, Stonehill, um, a tremendous facility um, owned by Surat Ratsanavati, and is just a, a absolute beautiful golf course, tremendous clubhouse. Like I said, all brand new. So looking forward to hosting the very first professional event there. Uh, on those grounds coming up in, the, in a few weeks. And then, uh, to Jeddah, to Royal Greens Golf Club that's hosted the Saudi International. Uh, always a great test for these players. Looking forward to being back there. And then again, finishing off in, at Doral, um, for the team world championship. So yeah, five more events. We were scheduled for an arc participating in eight events this year. We were going to be 10 events next year and then 14 kicking off the league in 24. The good news is, is that our first two events, London and Portland, went extremely well. The bad news is that our first two events went extremely well, and so everybody decided we should move up the league a year earlier. So it's uh, fast and furious now, um, putting that schedule together and creating those relationships and getting people on the ground for those venues to start the league next year, and it's, um again repeating uh, myself, I apologize, but it's, again, very exciting times right now in, in the world of live Golf.
0: Ron, I, I got to imagine at some point, a TV deal has to be on the horizon. Is that something that we could expect in, in 23 that you guys are going to be off of YouTube and onto a network?
1: I think there'll be a combination of that, right? All streaming and network and cable. I, I don't know the details. That's not my part of the business, obviously. My Awesome colleague, Will Stager, who's our chief media officer, handles that. So maybe that's a call with him. You can schedule and get some more (laughs) feedback and and details from him. He's he's the expert on that. I don't know anything about that side of the business but other than he does an amazing job, and I know he's got some great plans coming, coming up soon.
0: Ron, people always ask the question now, is there an opportunity for the PGA Tour and Live Golf to work together? Do you think there's that opportunity or is really live golf an alternative to the PGA tour?
1: We, we've always believed from the beginning and continue to this day to believe there's collaboration and, and ability to, to work together in the world of golf. Um, I, I think you've heard that from Greg and others that, you know, we believe that and we, we think that can and, and will still happen, whether that's, Tomorrow, next week, or next year—who knows? You know, a lot going on. Obviously, that's above my pay grade, but um, I, I believe that. I think that's what you know the world golf can be and and should be. And so, I look forward to having those conversations one day in the future.
0: Ron, just a couple more before I let you go. And I've heard that a women's live golf tour is really a done deal, and it's gonna happen. Is that accurate?
1: I think there is discussion of what if that could be in the future I wouldn't characterize it as a done deal but I think there's certainly opportunities that that's again an opportunity to grow the game and be a part of that that we'd be interested in having those discussions but there's nothing that I'm aware of as imminent and, and happening anytime real soon in the future but certainly discussions and would love to have further discussions about it we think that's a, a great thing.
0: Ron how can our listeners stay up to date with you and all the things that you've got going on with livegolf whether that's on online or on social media
1: Yeah livegolf.com certainly is a, is a great resource our YouTube channel for livegolf is uh the best way right now to to watch it and watch highlights and and feature videos that our um, amazing production team again under Will James Watson and Michael Matt have created that uh Tell the story, um, live golf on all the, you know, Twitter pages and Instagram and the like. So it's out there. Appreciate the followers and the support and, and appreciate, um, folks like you giving us the time to help tell the story and, and provide that support for what we can, um, ultimately do in this great world of golf to, to make it better in the future.
0: Well, Ron, it's been great having you as part of the show. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you soon here about. Well we can look forward to in 23 and beyond uh, it's you know I think I think um, you've been a, a wonderful guest you've you've certainly been somebody that uh, over the 13 years that uh, over the course of the time that I've been acquainted with you that has had a fantastic career in the game you've had a, a major positive impact and I thank you for all you've meant and done for the game of golf.
1: Very kind of you, Chris. I appreciate your uh, support as well. And congratulations to your success on your podcasts. and uh,
0: look forward to talking to you again soon. I appreciate you, Ron. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. See you, Ron. That is Ron Cross, Chief Events Officer for Live Golf. And boy, I think they've got some really good ideas over there for the things that they are bringing to the game of golf. And Ron's just a good guy, and he's got a wonderful career doing big events on the PGA Tour, so you know the events are going to be run well. I understand everybody's concerned about the Saudi money and being respectful of 9-11 and all of those sorts of things, so that hits me in the heart. So I, I'm, I'm with all of you with the concern about where the money is coming from and that sort of thing. The opposite side of that coin is, as you heard, that they've invested in a lot of things And we're giving money to the Saudis every day when we go to the gas pump. There is the economics of that. It's a tough moral dilemma, I think, for all of us. So we wrestle with that. But if you can take that off the table for just a minute, and let's just talk about competition with the PGA Tour. And what would we like to see the PGA Tour do differently or better? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the tour has been stale for a long time. And these guys coming along to shake things up, and do things differently and try some different concepts and being very flexible with what they do. I think there's a lot to be said for that. So whether the PGA Tour it chooses to continue to take some of those ideas and incorporate them into the tour, maybe the best things that Liv does, the PGA Tour pays attention to. And then they incorporate those things and, and really shake the game up and we all end up better for it. That is my hope for what Liv Golf brings to the game of golf, if you will. Okay, before we close up shop tonight, I want to remind you about a couple more of our sponsors, including our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies, and their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. undr.com Two Under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Ride. We deal with a lot on the golf course, whether you're teeing off in front of a crowd, hitting a four iron after a rain delay, trying to figure out wind direction, or second guessing club selection. It's easy for your mind to race. That's exactly what drove Golf Pride to create the all-new CPX. It's made with a unique EXO diamond quilted pattern, reducing vibration in your hands on every shot. The EX diamond quilted pattern really helps your hands sink into the club on every shot, giving you maximum comfort because when your hands are comfortable, you're comfortable. CPX is available now on GolfPride.com or at your local retailer. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Scott Hamilton and Ron Cross for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. We'll be back, as will tour legend Tom Pertzer. And we'll get a long overdue return visit from Champions Tour pro Bob Estes. Looking forward to having Bob back as part of the show. So it's going to be a great one, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. If you have a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one, too. Just type in Next on the T on the search bar. You'll probably find us there. Please check out our website, NextOnTheT.net, to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we give you links to recent episodes and individual guest segments. So whether you've got 20 minutes or 90 minutes, we have great content on there for you. Folks, thank you all again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I know you've got a lot of golf podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful that you are making next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.